C. diff spores and more is brought to you in part by Rebiotics, Microbiota Restoration Therapy. Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. And thank you all for joining us today, and welcome to CDIP Spores and More. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Rebiotics, a fairing pharmaceuticals company, for their generous support. You can find out more about their microbiome research and clinical trials at www.rebiotics.com. And today we are so thrilled to have two leading scientists from England, uh, Dr. Kerry Davies, Principal Clinical Scientist and Visiting Research Fellow, Leeds Teaching Hospitals, NHS Trust and University of Leeds. With um, Dr. Davies is Dr. Jane Freeman, Clinical Scientist and Visiting Research Fellow, Leeds Teaching Hospitals, NHS Trust and University of Leeds, HEE slash NIHR. ICA clinical lecturer. We enjoy um, having these two ladies with us today to discuss antimicrobial resistance. Why is AMR important? So at this time, I'd like to welcome both of our scientists to the show. Welcome Dr. Davies and Dr. Freeman. Hi, Nancy. Um, so I'm Kerry Davies. I've been a researcher for um, 20 years, um, mostly with an interest in um, C. difficile, but uh, also other healthcare-acquired infections. And I mostly look at um, surveillance of C. diff and also diagnostic assays. Wonderful. And thank you so much for joining us today. And Dr. Freeman, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure, it's lovely to be here. I'm Jane Freeman and I also have about 20 years experiences, experience in lots of aspects of C. diff research, um, particularly antimicrobial resistance in C. diff um, and emerging rivotypes. And um, I also am very interested in seeing how C. difficile uh, pathogenesis works using our gut model that we have here in Leeds. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Freeman, for that introduction. And we're going to just jump right in here. Um, Dr. Freeman, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to uh, briefly explain, what is an antimicrobial? Well, very briefly, an antimicrobial is an agent or a compound chemical that kills microorganisms, or, or we sometimes call them bugs, such as bacteria, fungi, or viruses, or it might inhibit or stop their growth. And these um, agents can be grouped according to what bugs they affect. So, for example, those that work against bacteria are called antibacterials. Those that work against fungi are antifungals, etc. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for explaining that. And uh, Dr. Davies, can't we just develop new antimicrobials? Yeah, that would seem like an absolutely obvious solution, Nancy, but um, there are certain problems with that. It can take... Uh, 10 to 20 years to develop a new drug and from discovery through clinical trials and then using it routinely in clinical practice. Um, In in addition, it's a very costly process. Uh, It's estimated to be around $1,500 million per drug. And it can be hard for companies to recoup that development money as people only tend to use antimicrobials for a very short period of time, say a week or 10 days, compared to, say, a heart drug that someone might take for life. Um, and then we also have to be careful that any new drugs we develop are used wisely so that resistance to these new options doesn't develop quickly. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Davies, for that explanation. And Dr. Freeman, what is AMR and why is it so important? Well, AMR stands for antimicrobial resistance. So when a population of bugs are exposed to antibiotics that, that's active against them, most of them will be killed. But some will have acquired or developed characteristics that stop them being killed. These bugs are then resistant to that antibiotic. These resistant bugs can then grow and potentially spread or can sometimes transfer their resistance characteristics to other bugs. So you can see how we can then develop an increasing pool of bugs that are resistant to that antimicrobial. Now, unfortunately, they're not limited to acquiring or developing resistance to just one antimicrobial 
they can become resistant to others that they may come into contact with. When this happens, they can eventually become resistant to multiple antimicrobials. If these bugs then cause an infection, it can be very difficult to treat. It means that the antimicrobials we have can become less effective. AMR is important because it affects our ability to treat infections now and in the future. So each year, approximately 700,000 people die of resistant infections. And it's projected that this will increase to 10 million deaths per year by 2050 if it's left unchecked. So this might result in a return to the situation we had before the discovery of antimicrobials when fairly common infections were potential killers. My goodness, that's very devastating. Thank you for sharing that. And Dr. Freeman, you have a strong track record on C. difficile research. How did your group become interested in AMR research also? Well, AMR is an increasing aspect of research into many infections. And as a research group that has a substantial number of clinically practicing members, such as clinical scientists like myself and Kerry, but also doctors and research nurses, the impact of AMR on our ability to treat infections is constantly underlined by our work. Um, our work in CEDIF has many aspects, but resistance to antimicrobials has been part of it since the very early days of our involvement back in the late 1990s, which feels like quite a long time ago now, when we started looking at antimicrobial resistance in some of our local CEDIF strains. Around this time, we also established our gut model of CDI to help us look at how antimicrobials can predispose to CDI, so how they might um, give rise to the infection, and how we can treat it with other antimicrobials. And as part of this, we've been able to observe antimicrobial resistance development in CDF itself, but also in the gut bacteria within the gut model. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Freeman. And Dr. Davies, please, can you summarize your involvement into the research in AMR? Yeah, so we undertake a wide variety of studies into AMR. Um, we look at how much resistance there is in bacteria, and um, this might be at a local, national, or um, international level. We've studied resistance to antibiotics and to how it might affect the fitness of that bacteria. So that's how they can grow and cause disease. Um, we evaluate new diagnostic methods for the detection of these bacteria um, for use in the routine microbiology laboratories. And we compare what we see in the DNA or the genes of these bacteria with what we see in real life when they grow because it doesn't always actually follow that just because a bacterium carries a resistance gene that it will actually be resistant to treatment with that antimicrobial. And some of this work has actually affected diagnostic and treatment guidelines for infections. And this is particularly due to the role of um, our head of group, Professor Mark Wilcox, who is at a policy-making level both nationally and internationally. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Dr. Davies, is AMR also a priority for government bodies and research grant councils? Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, the exiting chief medical officer in the UK, Dame Sally Davis, had um, AMR as her highest priority area. And actually, she's now moved to a role as the um, AMR envoy to the United Nations. The World Health Organization and um, your own Center for Disease Control in the US, they highlight AMR as one of the biggest threats we face, actually. And as a result, there's, there's lots of research funding bodies that are providing funding for antimicrobial resistance. And recently, for example, in the UK, um, the government have provided um, £32 million pounds, uh, for investment in innovative ideas to tackle AMR. And we were very lucky to be awarded um, £2 million of, that, of, of that to develop infrastructure um, within our own group to allow us to undertake an, uh, a lot more antimicrobial resistance research with an aim that we can actually try and start tackling the problem that we face. And I think it's increasingly becoming a more highlighted area. It's increasingly being seen um, in the news. It's increasingly being reported um, to the general public. And I think that, that way of raising uh, the level of information is quite useful and, again, puts pressure on governmental bodies and research funding councils to invest more in this sort of area that obviously has a massive impact on patients. Absolutely. 
And Dr. Carey um, Davies, thank you so much for sharing all that information. Right now, we are going to uh, take a moment and uh, pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing antimicrobial resistance. Why is AMR important? With our two guests, Dr. Carey Davies and Jane, Dr. Jane Freeman. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. <music> Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Thank you for joining us today, and we welcome you back to C. diff, spores, and more. We would like to take this opportunity to welcome back our two guests, Dr. Carrie Davies and Dr. Jane Freeman uh, from the NHS Hospital, Lead Hospital in the UK. And we are discussing antimicrobial resistance. Why is AMR important? Uh, Welcome back to the show, Dr. Davies and Dr. Freeman. It's lovely to be back here, Nancy. Thank you so much, and thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule, because uh, I know it's later in the day there than it is here, and we appreciate you being with us today. And with that being said, uh, Dr. Freeman, uh, you have an extensive background also with Dr. Davies, and you mentioned your laboratory gut model before the commercial. Um, could you explain more about that and how it works? Absolutely, Nancy. Um, The gut model is definitely one of the things that people really like to see when they come to our lab. It looks very uh, exactly how you would imagine science to be done at school with lots of tubes and pots uh, and wires everywhere. Um, So it looks very confusing, but in actual fact, it's a very simple setup. It's made of three glass pots. Um, They're about 300 millilitres each, um, and they're connected by tubing and arranged so that they feed each other sequentially. So vessel one fills up, and then it drips over into vessel two, which then fills and drips over into vessel three, which then fills and drips over into a waste vessel. So that's known as a weir cascade system. So... We want to fill our model with gut bacteria because we want it to, to reflect what's going on in the human gut. So we will fill the model with a slurry made from the feces of healthy volunteers who've had no antimicrobial treatment recently. It sounds awful, but it really gives us a very good reflection of what's going on uh, within the human gut system. Then, once we've got these pots filled, we then feed the system from the top with a very special growth media at a very slow rate. And the reason we feed it at a slow rate is so that it reflects roughly how long it will take something to get from the start of your gut to the bottom, if you'll pardon the pun. We carefully then control the environment in all of the three vessels to make it as like the gut as possible. 
So because our gut doesn't contain much oxygen and is populated largely by anaerobic bacteria, we flush it with nitrogen gas to keep it oxygen free. And because our gut uh, becomes more alkaline as you go through it progressively from um, the small intestine to large intestine, we control the pH in each of these pots, each of these vessels, so that it reflects that as the, um, as the media uh, progresses through. The model is what we call in the microbiology trade um, a continuous culture system. And what I mean by that is that it's constantly fed by that media and waste is constantly removed. And that's really a bit like us humans. We take food in at the top and then the waste comes out at the bottom. This system, therefore, allows the bugs to grow and to respond in an environment that's very similar to being in a human gut. And actually, these models have been validated against the um, gut contents of sudden death victims. So we know that they're very reflective in terms of nutrients, in terms of the space that they use, and in terms of the microbiological interactions that are going on in there. So we let the models kind of settle down for a couple of weeks to let those bugs get used to their new home and the conditions that they're in. And then we can put diff spores in there, start to look at what happens when we put different micro antimicrobials or treatments in there too. We've done a lot of work on these models over the years. Over, we've been running them for approximately 20 years now. And we know um, by the experiments that we do that we can simulate CDI by treating uh, the gut model with some of the antibiotics that are often associated with a high risk of C. diff infection, like clindamycin. And when we do that, what we find is the spores germinate um, and they will start to produce toxin. And so we've simulated C. diff infection outside of a patient and in an in vitro model, which allows us to study something in a very controlled way. So we can look at different antimicrobials to see how they might, um, they might uh, give rise to C. diff infection, but we can also look at treatments that we have for C. diff, like vancomycin, orthodaxamycin, and any other novel treatments, new treatments that might be being developed. So, as I've said, we've been running these for quite a long time, uh, approximately 20 years now. They will have their 21st birthday next year sometime. And we've shown that this model is very clinically reflective and extremely useful for looking at these new treatments and modeling C. diff and gut bacterial behavior. Well, Dr. Freeman, that's an amazing research model, and thank you so much for taking the time to explain the beginning to the end to the 20 years experiment and how you simulate CDI. Just amazing work you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Dr. Davies, can you use the gut model to study organisms that are important in AMR uh, other than C. difficile? Yeah, um, indeed we can. Um, so recently we've been, we've been trying to adapt the model to, to do exactly this. Uh, for example, we've used the model to look at the growth and spread of, of what are called carbapenem-resistant enterobacteriaceae. Now that is a very long and complicated name, so let's just call them CPEs. Now, normally this type of bacteria, the enterobacteriaceae part, are a type of bacteria that you can find in a healthy gut amongst all your other types of bacteria that you would find. However, the ones that we call CPEs have acquired or developed resistance to a group of antibiotics called carbapenems. Now, carbapenems are very important antibiotics as they're often reserved for the sickest patients in hospital, especially if they have bugs that are resistant to all the more common antibiotics. And actually, they can sometimes be called the last resort to treat a resistant infection. So getting a bug that's resistant to them is quite dangerous. So by using the model, we were able to add these bacteria in the same way that we do with C. diff spores, and then treat the model with antibiotics to see how that affected the amount of CPEs that were there. So we could see that a very small amount of CPE in amongst all of those other normal bacteria could actually bloom into a very large amount of CPE after the model was treated with that antibiotic. 
And actually, we believe this mimics what happens in people that are carrying a small amount of CPE. And in addition to that, we actually saw the gene or the DNA that makes those particular bacteria resistant move from one type of bacteria to another. So this shows how resistance can spread between species within the gut. And this sort of information is vital um, to help us understand how to diagnose these infections, especially when we think there might only be small amounts of them there in the first place. And potentially, we can use the model to develop better treatment options for these bacteria as well. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Dr. Davies, for sharing that. And Dr. Davies, what does AMR look like from a global perspective? And and what studies uh, address this problem right now? So AMR is a global issue. Um, We can't ignore what happens in other countries as people travel around. And when they travel, they bring their bacteria with them and their antibiotic-resistant bacteria with them. So understanding how countries differ in their levels of um, antimicrobial resistance can help us potentially identify things that might reduce or increase the risk of these bugs. So, for example, what I mean is is a country with a low level of AMR bugs um, may have effective methods such as tests, treatments, or um, infection control methods, which could be shared with other countries to help them reduce their AMR levels. A project I'm currently leading called Combact CDI is trying to do um, just that, in fact. Um, We have 12 countries in Europe involved, and we're comparing how much C. diff there is in in each of these countries, along with how people test for it, manage it, treat it, monitor it, and how much it costs for each country. And so far, we found very wide differences in each of these methods, and our overall aim for the project is to develop a best practice method how to deal with C. diff with the hope that we can reduce the overall amount of C. diff across Europe. Now, this project is for C. diff, but this approach could also be taken for other AMR bacteria. And in addition to that, um, Jane, Dr. Freeman, has uh, conducted a five-year study into antimicrobial resistance C. diff across Europe uh, to monitor changing patterns of resistance. Um, Again, this knowledge can help to identify where we need to concentrate efforts to reduce resistance, uh, and worldwide researchers are conducting similar studies to try and understand what the picture looks like now and how it's changing to allow us to adopt and modify the way that we tackle these infections caused by these bacteria. Thank you so much, Dr. Davies. And yes, it is a global um, you know, issue, and yes, um, with you being part of it, uh, everybody is um, taking a stand to re- result not only awareness but research. And Dr. Freeman, what other areas of AMR research are you focusing on at this time? <clears throat> well, we have quite a broad range of areas, actually, but, and not exclusively, but mainly in C. diff. As Kerry's already said, we're involved in national and international surveillance studies to look at emerging resistance in C. diff and what factors might be involved, like antimicrobial stewardship. Um, antimicrobial stewardship is, is using antimicrobials in a more thoughtful way to minimize the development of resistance. So that might be, instead of using one antimicrobial to, to tackle particular infections, having a pool of different antimicrobials that you might select from. And you might use these in succession. You might cycle these or only allow certain patients to have them. Um, so it, it's kind of thinking about the way that you would use antibiotics very carefully. So we're also looking at how small changes in C. diff DNA can lead to resistance and how might this affect how well the organism grows. We also, this is an important aspect, uh, look at how antimicrobials are affecting our normal gut bacteria, especially in people who take lots of courses of antibiotics, uh, resulting in an imbalance in their gut flora. So we're using our our gut models and developing them to look at that. And outside of this, we're involved in education and outreach and also trying to look at um, studies to develop more accurate, rapid diagnosis of sepsis um, to tell doctors and nurses um, how to treat uh, with minimal antimicrobials and how to tell whether infections are caused by bacteria or viruses. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Freeman. Uh, At this time, we're going to pause for a brief commercial break. 
And when we return, we will be speaking with Dr. Carrie Davies, Dr. Jane Freeman, and discussing antimicrobial resistance. Why is AMR important? Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. No, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to the C. diff, spores, and more program. Uh, at this time, we'd like to welcome back our guests, Dr. Carrie Davies and Dr. Jane Freeman, who join us today to discuss antimicrobial resistance and why is AMR important. Um, uh, welcome back to the program, Dr. Davies and Dr. Freeman. Hello again, Nancy. Hello again, and thanks for your time. And um, right now, um, Dr. Davies, before we went to break, you were discussing the CPE. If you wouldn't mind, can you take a moment to just explain one more time what a CPE is? Absolutely. It is quite complicated, and it has a complicated name, which really doesn't help either. So CPE is a type of bacteria um, that we see quite commonly, and it carries resistance to a particular antibiotic called a carbapenem. So it's just um, a bacteria that has resistance to a particular drug called carbapenem. Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to explain that. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that also. And at this time, um, Dr. Freeman, we see in the media that AMR is a real threat. Uh, words like a cop. Uh, apocalypse are being used and is this the message that is it too strong for the public i think language is very important with in how you communicate with the public especially when you're talking about something like amr but i think that when 700,000 people per year are currently dying from amr amr all over the world and that there is a risk of 10 million people dying per year by 2050 there is a need for a strong but realistic and tangible information for people. So it needs to be accessible. So, for instance, to put some context on those figures, 700,000 is roughly the population of the city that Kerry and I live and work in. Or for U.S. listeners, that's roughly equivalent to the population of Washington, D.C. So an entire city's worth of people die each year due to AMR. 10 million people is obviously a much greater figure. It's more than the entire population of New York or London. So by 2050, more than the equivalent of all the people in New York or London will die each year due to AMR. So that we do need a strong message, but I think that message needs to be something that people can understand. So that message really should be that everyone all over the world gets infections, 
So not being able to treat them is a problem for every one of us. It's a big problem for us right now that we need to appreciate, but it's going to be an even bigger problem for our children if we don't do something about it right now. And we can help to solve it by understanding it, communicating it well, and using antimicrobials in a much better and more thoughtful way. Absolutely. Those are very startling uh, statistics, and we do appreciate you sharing that with our global listeners. And uh, Dr. Davies, how can the results from research uh, be communicated to those who need to know both clinicians and the public? So um, we need to be innovative about how we communicate MMR research, really. Um, Traditionally, researchers publish our data in journals, and they might be read by other people working in the same field, but maybe not many others. But because AMR affects everyone, we need to be able to break out of those traditional groups and communicate that to everyone. So we need to think outside the box. Um, Research events, festivals, showcases, they're they're a great way of communicating your research. But you've got to make sure that you invite all the relevant stakeholders. That's all the people that have a possible interest. And that could include clinicians, healthcare providers, industry, um, so companies that make new drugs or vaccines or um, de- uh, devices for detecting um, these infections. Uh, and also, we need to make sure we include patients and the public. And, and that's why patient advocacy charities such as this one um, are a really great way of making sure that we can reach the right people with our research. And more and more people, actually, researchers, are moving towards using novel things to communicate and some are using art and some are using games to get um, those messages about infections and AMR across and we've previously worked with a a bio artist called um, Anna Dimitriou um, to produce an art installation based on our gut model that Dr. Freeman described and on faecal transplants and that's actually on permanent public exhibition um, at the Eden Project which is um, here in the UK And Jane and I um, are currently also working with the Thackeray Medical Museum, which is um, a museum here in Leeds. Um, And we're creating a uh, a gallery with them called Disease Detectives, looking at microbiology. But we've got a particular focus on the microbiome, um, which is our gut bacteria, how they affect our health, and how they can be affected by antimicrobials. And although this museum is open to everybody, which is great, they get a lot of children visiting, particularly those studying the history of medicine as part of their, um, their schoolwork. And it's great to be able to produce material that will educate them. And maybe, who knows, we might inspire the next scientist who might come along and actually defeat AMR in the future. Thank you so much, Dr. Davies. That's amazing. Uh, I just cannot believe uh, a museum gallery that I mean that's that's an innovative right there in itself so thanks for sharing that and um, Dr. Davies how will the projects like yours make a difference to such a huge and diverse problem yeah so I think it's really important not to conduct studies in in isolation Um, the biggest impact can come when we collaborate um, so, for instance, in the Combat CDI study I mentioned um, previously, we've got seven academic and six industry partners. And those industry partners are some of the companies I mentioned just previously. So they're working on new drugs, um, on vaccines, and um, diagnostic tests for, for C. diff. And they've um, invested in finding out um, the latest information and then helping researchers to use that information to best effect. And it's really important to involve people who have power to make real change happen. And that means we have to involve policymakers, we have to involve government and and healthcare leaders because without them, just producing research is meaningless. It has to have impact and it has to have um, patient impact at the end of the day. Exactly. Thank you so much. Dr. Davies, and Dr. Freeman, would you mind explaining about um, the culture change in attitude towards antimicrobial antimicrobial use? Yeah, so this is a a really important, a a pivotal aspect in challenging antimicrobial resistance. The change uh, that we're looking for really has to happen everywhere, 
from our healthcare professionals through to the general public that uh, Kerry was just talking about, um, using innovative strategies to do that, art and um, gaming, um, as many strategies as, as we can think of, really, to reach as many people as we can. Um, but it also involves um, our farming and veterinary colleagues, too, because antimicrobials are not just used uh, in, the, in the human clinical setting. They're also used by our veterinary co colleagues, too. Um, and this is kind of described as a one health approach so that we approach um, antimicrobial resistance from a completely holistic point of view, looking at both the animal and veterinary side of things as well as the clinical and human side of things. And it's really interesting that you can actually, people uh, in recent studies have been finding antimicrobial resistant bacteria in the environment um, and starting to look at why that might be. So I, I think that really demonstrates how far reaching uh, this problem is. It's really important that everybody understands what antimicrobials are, what, what they're for, and what they should and shouldn't be used for. So one of the aspects that it's while we've been talking about antimicrobial resistance and saying that we must be careful about them, what we must remember is, is we need antimicrobials. They're really important to us. We need them to treat infections. Uh, they're life-saving drugs. So we don't want people to, go, to uh, go away from this with the idea that we shouldn't be using antimicrobials at all. The, the point is that we need to be using them in exactly the right way and in exactly the right environment so that we preserve them for the infections that we really do need to treat. So, as part of this culture change that we're talking about, we need to empower the general public with knowledge and allow them to be part of the conversation. Um, when you talk to older people, and uh, I talked to some of my elderly friends about this, too often in the past people have been felt unable to ask questions and challenge their healthcare professionals. And actually, one of the people that we spoke to in one of our patient and public involvement groups, which is an important aspect of um, getting people to understand antimicrobials and having their input into research, they had um, had antibiotics as a child and actually believed that it was them that, was re that were resistant to antimicrobials, not the bugs that were actually being treated. So... That's a, a, a misconception that's persisted for years and years um, and has never been challenged because of some of the hierarchical um, structures that we have in our medical and healthcare professionals. So it's important to change that culture, to empower patients um, to be able to ask questions when their healthcare professionals uh, prescribe them treatments, to be able to say to them, um, can you tell me why I need an antimicrobial? Can you tell me why I need to take it for this long? And what kind of impact will that have on antimicrobial resistance? It's very important that we empower people um, to be able to do that. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Freeman. And Dr. Freeman, can you briefly uh, explain before we uh, pause for a commercial break? Uh, antibiotics is... Um, are they the same? It's is one of the same as an antimicrobial. That's um, yes. That's a that's a very interesting question, Nancy. So, antibiotic just means against life. Antimicrobial is anti it is against microbes. So we kind of use the two terms interchangeably. In practice, antibiotic tends to describe antibacterials rather than. Um, the whole term of antimicrobials, which includes um, antifungals, antivirals as well. So when we're talking about antibiotics in general, we're talking about antibacterials. So antibiotics are part of antimicrobials, but tend to actually describe antibacterials. Well, thank you so much. That's a huge explanation, and I'm sure that our global listeners appreciate that too, uh, along with all the information that you and Dr. Davies have provided right now. And at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return with Dr. Carrie Davies and Dr. Jane Freeman, we will continue discussing antimicrobial resistance. Why is AMR important? Please stand by, and we'll be back after these messages. <music> Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, everyone. And we're so happy to have you here today. And before we move forward, I just want to say how grateful we are to our sponsor, Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals company, for their generous support. You can find more out, more about their microbiome research and clinical trials at www.rebiotics.com. And at this time, I'd like to welcome back our two guests, Dr. Carrie Davies and Dr. Jane Freeman. Welcome back to the program, ladies. Thanks for having us, Nancy. Ah, you're more than welcome. Thank you so much for taking time to be here today. And we're discussing antimicrobial resistance and why is AMR important. And with that, um, Dr. Davies, if you wouldn't mind uh, taking a moment and what are some of the take-home messages about AMR you'd like to share with our global listeners? Yeah, we've, we've gone through quite a lot of things today in quite a short space of time. So I think it's, it's useful to kind of summarize um, what, we've, what we've talked about. So the main thing is that antimicrobial resistance is something that affects us all. It's not going away. And we can't cure the problem. But we can make significant differences um, to how fast AMR um, progresses. So we've talked about some of the research that we've done here and uh, globally what people do. And we need to understand the picture. So we need to understand what is out there currently. And we need to keep monitoring it so that we can see how that picture changes how much resistance there is, and how that goes up and down. And we need to compare best practice for how we can reduce antimicrobial resistance and try and use that best practice um, across lots of different countries and lots of different healthcare providers. Um, we mentioned particularly our, our gut model. Um, which we use to look at C. diff, but we also use to look at other um, bacteria that you can carry in your gut that may carry antibiotic or antimicrobial resistance genes. So when we talk about resistance, we are talking about the bug carrying the resistance. This is not the person, this is the bug. And then we've also talked about... Um, how we need to communicate the research that we do so that everybody knows exactly what the picture is so that we can make sure that we can all contribute towards reducing um, antimicrobial resistance. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Freeman talked about was antimicrobial stewardship. So just to recap on that, antimicrobial stewardship is about the way we use the antimicrobials that we have. If you get a chest infection, there could be one of, say, five drugs that the doctor could choose to give you. If a hospital only lets you use one drug 
every single person that comes into that hospital with a chest infection will get the same drug. Now, that helps resistance to build up because there is a constant pressure um, from the constant use of one antimicrobial. So one aspect of stewardship can be to make sure that you use all of the available drugs to you. So you are available to use all five of them so that people can pick and choose to help reduce that resistance build up by reducing the pressure formed by giving that antimicrobial. Another aspect of stewardship is to make sure you're treating a real infection and that involves having the right diagnostic methods. So making sure you have a correct diagnosis and then knowing which antimicrobial is the best one to use for that particular infection. So making sure you have the right test with the right result, with the right treatment for that patient to reduce antimicrobial resistance. So those are some of the aspects of stewardship that we were talking about. And so we need to go back to it affects us all. It's not going away. We can't cure the problem, but we can make significant differences to how fast AMR progresses. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Davies, for the recap and uh, the takeaway messages for our global listeners. And at this time, Dr. Freeman, what part do the public, what part does the public have to play in this? Well, we all have a significant part to play in tackling this particular problem. Um, I think to bring it down to a, an everyday level, we take responsibility for ourselves every day, don't we? We get up, we make sure that we're clothed and we're fed, and we try to stay as healthy as we possibly can. Um, and we look out for our friends too. Uh, in true uh, British style, Kerry and I look after each other every day. We make each other a nice cup of tea and have a biscuit during our working day just to make sure that we're uh, feeling looked after. And really, my feeling is that AMR awareness should be an extension of looking after ourselves and our mates. So looking after our own gut bacteria, stopping resistance developing where possible. So making sure that we're aware of the right way to use antibiotics and, and as I said previously, not being afraid to have those conversations with our healthcare professionals about um, how antibiotics are used and how um, our, our health is being cared for, if you like, to do this so that we limit the impact on ourselves and on others. We might need to ask some very difficult questions and to change the way that we do things uh, but the rewards are very high. Um, we will uh, reduce antimicrobial resistance um, and preserve the antimicrobials that we have so that they live to fight another day. Thank you so much, Dr. Freeman. And Dr. Davies, can you explain um, some of the ways that a healthcare provider uh, can um, work with the AMR uh, awareness program? versus uh, the public, say, the families and the patients. Uh, I know there's different stewardships for each group. Can you explain that? So, yeah, I think it's important that um, healthcare providers are aware of AMR, that um, they're making sure that they're using the right drugs in, for the right patient for the right um, infection at the right time, and that means ordering the right tests and going by those test results and um, not giving antibiotics if they're not certain they're needed. Uh, another um, thing is that we're now moving into an era of maybe shortening antibiotic courses, so not leaving someone on an antibiotic just to be on the safe side, but actually to give them the course that is recommended um, and to review that patient and see if they actually do need to continue on that antibiotic rather than just making that assumption. Exactly. And Dr. Davies, can you explain how a patient and the families, um, how to take an antibiotic? Well, antibiotics can be taken in lots of different ways. Um, and the essential information is that you should follow the, the instructions that you're given and make sure that you 
complete whatever course you're given by your doctor. So if they give you a course that's four times a day for 10 days, that's what you need to take, not stop taking it after you feel better after a couple of days, because you will. Um, so it's important to follow the instructions and make sure you do it um, as instructed. Um, but like Dr. Freeman said, maybe ask that question up front. Why do I need this and do I need it for this long? Exactly. Thank you so much, Dr. Davies. Dr. Freeman, what other studies are you aware of right now that are addressing AMR challenges on the global level? Well, there are a number of studies, um, and I would say, actually, the the direction of travel for a lot of studies is into uh, tackling AMR on a global scale by going into those lower and middle income countries um, and working with um, the governments and agencies there to tackle antimicrobial resistance in countries where there may be less restricted use of antimicrobials so that you can buy them over the counter and they're not prescription only like they may be um, in some of the uh, developed countries. Um, So looking at antibiotic resistance um, rates there and what we can do to tackle problems emanating from those areas of of the world and their transfer into other areas of the world. So that's a really interesting area that lots of the developed nations are starting to invest in to try and make an impact from as many angles as possible. Um, The other area I touched on previously was also on veterinary antimicrobial use um, and promoting a One Health um, agenda to tackle antimicrobial resistance from as many um, kind of viewpoints as possible. That has also become um, a growing area of research. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Freeman, for adding those comments. And at this time, um, Dr. Davies and Dr. Freeman, if you have any closing comments that you'd like to share before we close the show, we'd appreciate it. Thanks, Nancy, and um, I just wanted to say thank you for having us on and allowing us this time to um, spread the message of AMR, which I think is is really, really important. Um, And we're really keen to engage with public and patients about this issue and and help to promote good antibiotic health and good good, um, AMR, essentially. Wonderful. I thank you both so much. And Dr. Carrie Davies and Dr. Jane Freeman, again, thank you so much for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. You know that we're so grateful for your dedication in the healthcare and the scientific um, community. And at this time, the members of the C. diff Foundation wish to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe who are dedicated to improving health, the organizations and professionals who are researching and developing new products and ways to address C. difficile infections in prevention, treatment, diagnostics, protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, and environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. difficile infection and recurrent C. diff infections, please visit our website, C. diff Foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org. Please help them to help you to help others. At this time, we'd also like to say we are grateful for November being Raising C. diff Awareness Month, and we wish everybody out there fighting and recovering and being treated for a C. diff infection, along with the many wellness-draining illnesses around the globe, we wish you good health, good healing, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.